podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Heart and Hand Rangers podcast, the podcast that also knows what it's like to disappoint people at the last minute. This week on Heart and Hand, more Motherwell misery. So welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. My name's David Edgar, I'm your host, and I'm joined this week by two of the A-list Heart and Hand podders. First of all, the wonderful Mr Alex Staff. Hi there, David, how you doing? I am doing well, my friend, because not only are you here, but also the wonderful Mr Ian Hogg. Good evening, children, how are we all? Uh, still sore, 24 hours later, still sore after Rangers' 3 each draw with Motherwell at Firth Park. Hell of a game. First half was, you know, if you were a neutral, a, a bloody entertaining, but I'm not a neutral. Um, Rangers, of course, uh, went down for the first time under Stephen Gerrard, went behind after a slip by Conor Goldson in the early minutes, but came back. Kyle Lafferty, newly restored, uh, the boy from the Black Skull, pops up with uh, a, an excellent volley, which did take a deflection, but he did really well to, to get on target. And from then, Rangers playing the better stuff, but again, caught out. Uh, this time, a set piece, wonderful delivery in from uh, Bigger Rama, I think he's, he's pronounced. I'm not entirely sure. Um, James Tavernier watches his man go past him to head in for two one. But Rangers again don't let it bother them. Keep going and actually are up by half time. Um, first of all, a wonderful goal. James Tavernier atoning for his error with a great cross and Kyle Lafferty with a superb run and header down. And then uh, a wonderful counter attack from Rangers after a break uh, after a Motherwell corner. Uh, Rangers broke superbly, ending up with Ovi Ajaria putting it away although the Motherwell keeper should have saved. And at that point, Alex, 3-2 up, playing some nice stuff uh, in this unusual 3-5-2, I felt we were going to go on and win this come down. I genuinely did. I could actually see us getting 4 or 5, and it really did not pan out. No, it didn't. Um, and, and you would, at half-time, you would have been right in feeling that because um, we hadn't showed up really for the last parts of the first half. You didn't think we would play as poorly. And in most games under Gerard this season, the second half is when we've we've kicked on and played a bit better football. So, yeah, like yourself at halftime, I was thinking, OK, we've rode that out. We've showed some really good fight and determination here to get ourselves in the lead. Let's uh, let's kick on from here. I, <laughs> I mean, let, let's be honest, right? well, we're unlucky to, to a small extent um, with the nature of the, the way that they scored so late in the game. But... Um, from, from what I've seen, this, certainly from my, my perspective in the second half, Motherwell were a bit better than us. Um, in my opinion, they imposed themselves on the game more. They created more chances. McGregor was by far the busier of the keepers. Um, and I, I just felt that uh, had we won it, it would have been one of those days where it was about attitude and determination rather than ability, really. Yeah, I would I would definitely concur with that. Rangers just could not get going at all in the second half and unfortunately began to sit deeper and deeper in the three five two, which we will discuss in a moment. And Motherwell eventually had uh, they put on Bowman and Salmon and it was literally just tossing the ball into the box and Rangers defence was coping quite well with it I have to say, um, however like I say just couldn't get out and seemed to surrender possession a lot Hoggy when it, and it just kept coming back and we got deeper and deeper and deeper. Looked as though we'd done enough, uh, but then in the, the very last seconds, Motherwell get a corner and balls fizzed in. Alan McGregor, I thought, could and probably should have come for it, didn't. Uh, Conor Goldson didn't do particularly well at that point either. Um, we'll come to Conor Goldson in a minute. And for the second time in the match, James Tavernier is standing watching as his man runs in behind him and puts the ball away. <sighs> Gutting. No other way to put it, Hoggy. Yeah, you know, there's that's played three in the league, won one, drawn two, and both of those games we should have won. Both of them as injury time equalisers. We should be sitting here at nine points. We're not. Um, we're sitting at five points instead. And um, I felt, I felt for most of the second half and the first ten minutes of the first half. Um, most of the motherwell attacks came from long balls. They were typically typically going right to left on their side, or in other words, being raked in on 
James Tavernier, who didn't have uh, protection in front of him, and and Daniel Kintias or or whomever else. Um, Tav had a nightmare, and I think that's that just uh, the, the 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 two goals that I think he was at fault for just rather sum up his performance. It was it was one of those Jekyll and Hyde because he 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 creates Lafferty's header on an absolute plate, um, but we. My mind, and I know we're going to come on to it, we cannot set up like that with defensively weak players, David. Well, let's talk about it then. It is one of the things that's been occupying the minds of Rangers fans since the final whistle yesterday. You cannot deny at all, and I'll start with you, Alex, but Hoggy, feel free to jump in at any point. You cannot deny that James Tavernier brings so much to the side. He does. He's six assists and three goals already this season, and he is so often key to our attacking play. But I don't think you can, with any great gravitas or certainty, argue that he is even a good defender, because he isn't. Uh, He's okay in, I think, one-on-ones, usually, but he has this thing at high balls, which is unusual because he's, he's got a good physical build and strength and height, that he just completely and utterly switches off and watches the ball. And it's not the first time we've seen it. And it's clearly something that other teams target because they were raining the balls into his zone yesterday. And it's the eternal question that Rangers fans will ask themselves. Um, Some people, they cannot get past the defensive lapses. For some people, the attacking qualities so far overrule it that they don't like the question either. Both camps you know, think it's a completely open and shut case. I'm kind of in the middle because there are days where... I think, oh, wonderful, like last week where he gets three assists and it, it, it's all great. And then there are days like yesterday where you want to choke him. Yeah, I get that. Um, for me, I'm in the, the camp of we are a much better team when James Tavernier plays. I, I really do believe that. Um, however, he does have games like he had on, on Sunday. What, what I found with Tavernier is he doesn't just make one mistake in a match. Um, you can think of some other examples as well one of the Hearts games I think under Warburton for example um, where it's not just one it seem, they seem to come in batches if he makes a mistake that leads to a goal he'll invariably make another mistake that leads to a goal in that same match it's very strange Scottish Cup final that. Alex Scottish Cup final 2016 yeah yeah. there's another example there yeah um, he doesn't seem to make just the one which then, you know, any player does. Any player does in a match, you know, from time to time, and you just think, well, okay, they'll try and make up for it, the team will try and make up for it for them. He seems to, I don't know if it's a confidence thing or just days where he just cannot get his game going or whatever, but he seems to make them. Now, people will argue, yeah, great assist for Lafferty. He also had a cross kind of early in the match, just after uh, Motherwell's first goal, where uh, Lafferty got a good header on it as well. Uh, Going forward, they've done okay, and got his assist but yeah I'm of the opinion we're a much better team than he plays but we're going to it's the first game this season where it's happened thankfully but we're going to have to see we're going to see games where he just has those absolute brain farts and um, I hoped that our defending this season was such that when he had matches like that other players would be able to cover for him I think some of that was down to the system and some of it was down to other players being howling as well. The men that we didn't do that on Sunday. Hey, don't, get, don't get me wrong, uh, Alex. You know, the, the, the system does not make you switch off for, for free kicks getting rained into the box. You know, and, and, and he was at fault for the two goals that they got from set pieces. But I think, to build, to build on your point, I think we're a much better side with James Tavernier and Daniel Kandias in the side. And I think that's what he was missing yesterday. You know, with uh, one-on-ones with no one tracking back and helping him, with Goldson having a pretty, frankly, poor match and not coming over to the right to cover him, with a Koulibaly or a Jack or a whomever being able to step over one because there's three in the middle of the park rather than two, that's, that's when we get the best out of James Tavernier for me. I get that we've only played really one match, 3-5-2. It could end up, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. But on the on the basis of yesterday with the personnel that we've got, um, I, I, I really do think it was the wrong move to pitch that in at Fur Park. He drives me nuts. 
Um, James Tavernier because there are weeks where nothing but praise for the guy and I absolutely love him and then I think it's because of the disparity between his best performances and his worst are so big because he, he tends I think to be either 7 or 8 out of 10 or 2 or 3 and it, because of that it makes him such a difficult guy which is incidentally why I think a lot of us had misgivings about giving him the captaincy Um and all the stuff you said is true, Hoggy. Uh, he was missing his partner in crime. And I, I, I've, I've read some people say, oh, a professional footballer shouldn't need a minder. And it doesn't work like that. There are combos that work better. You know, strike partnerships, defensive partnerships, and, and you utilise it. If you can, Candace, um and Tavernier are, are another. Um, however, as you said, it wasn't formation, it wasn't lack of partner that made him stand watching as a guy ran off him twice to to put the ball in the net. And it's not the first time we've seen it. It's something that appears to be in his game. To me, it's a really basic thing of you've got to know that you've got to at least go and compete or at least make sure that the guy doesn't get a clear run at the ball. That's... That's simple, Alex. I mean, that's not something I think you're demanding too much of any professional footballer to ask them to do. No, it's not. And I get that. I get that. But some players are just poor at it. Uh, we know that. That's why Ovi Ajaria gets left up, um, which ultimately led to one of their goals. But that's why Ovi Ajaria is not in the box defending his set pieces because the manager recognises he's not very good at it. So I'll use him to you know, take a player out of this situation altogether by keeping him up. Because he's not, it's not as if he's the sort of player you leave up because he's going to streak away in a counter-attack, is he? Um, but, you know, he's left out of there. But even with his height, they know that. Now, my question would be this. Um, if you know this, and we know this, we know this as fans, and there's absolutely no way our management team don't know this about James Tavernier. Why was he given such a pivotal role in defending our set-pieces? Because there's actually three times... He loses his man as such. Now, as you know, David, we play zonal, so they don't really have a man, but you know, you're supposed to go and attack the ball or make sure the guy in your zone is not getting to it first, or easily even, if that's the best you can do. But it was actually the other one, if you remember Peter Hartley's sitter at 3-2 in the second half. Mm. That was right in Tav's zone. But for some reason, why is Tavernier's zone the central one, is my question. Because even at the last goal, he's inside... Connor Goldson, who's further beyond the back post. And Goldson also, if, if anybody watching it, all the focus is on Tav. Goldson's defending was horrendous at that as well. If Tavernier had blocked Hartley, Curtis Main had still gone anyway um, to tap it in right behind him, um, behind Goldson. But why are they not swapped? Why is Connor Goldson not the man middle of the six-yard box looking to, to command that? And Tavernier's a bit further away from the danger zone as such. I'd be asking questions not only about James Tavernier but about our whole setup on the day, um, because ultimately this season has been pretty good, but it got exposed on Sunday by a team that we knew were going to play with a set piece threat. So I'd be asking why James Tavernier is the one that's in those sort of key areas when, if we know this, surely the management team know that he's capable of having moments like that. Yeah, I, I think, think one of the uh, sorry, David. I think one of the other things, Alex, that frankly boils my piss a little bit is, OK, Katic and Goldson didn't exactly cover themselves in glory. It's, it's the first game that I think the pair of them have had not a great game or a howler. Um, however, when you've, when you've got defenders in there, like James Tavernier, who isn't a brilliant technical defender, he's not particularly defensively minded. One thing I don't understand why we do... I don't understand why we do this, that we go to a zonal marking. Zonal marking's way harder... Uh, to perform the man-to-man marking, I get that they're all you know they had about yeah 11. that's that's they, a point they they had a lot of big guys on and a, a, a few people saying well why wasn't you know Goldson on Hartley or whatever and I did think well yeah but then you've got Salmon you've got um, Bowman you've Curtis got Mead. Curtis yeah. Mead you had six or seven but yes I, I still take both your but points. all you know all, all all zonal marking takes is for those big guys to st- to start swapping and interchanging Which and all of happened. a sudden and all of a sudden they're free because let's let's face it the likes of James Tavernier isn't very good at it so go back to basics when you're defending go back to basics get a man stick to him and he's your man wherever he goes 
you know, that, that's that's what I wanted to see. What I didn't like to see was a change in formation, going to zonal marking, and all of a sudden, especially in probably the first 15 minutes, David, we looked like an absolute shambles at the back. We looked as if a team that had never met each other before. Have we? Sorry, I, I, I can't say. It's not like me because I normally uh, notice this, but I can't say I've really noticed. Have we been using zonal marking all season or has it been man marking up until Sunday? We do a mix. Um, yeah, which most teams do. Which yeah, most, most teams do. It's, uh, it, it's something that's a bit of a misnomer, I think, in in football that, that we as fans just think we just do one or the other. Most teams will do a mix of it, um, which, of course, again, probably adds another layer of complexity in um, because yeah, you yeah. know the, the, there's just, yeah. more, to, more to remember. Um, and look, <laughs> you know, sometimes let's let's go... The simplest, the simplest solution is is quite often the the best one. We just had players that yesterday had a howler. Uh, quite a yeah. lot of them did, and to be honest, I would say the only ones that I would say played well were maybe well, definitely Kyle Lafferty and Borna Barisic. And past that, I thought you had guys who did okay, down to guys who had poor matches, I, and. That's the first time that that's really happened to this season. Um, there will be bumps in the road. Um, we sit here and we analyse the individual performance, but we will come to you know where it leaves us in the season in a moment. But it has been the first time. I thought, we mentioned this on the pods that we did after the game against Ufup, that the team had looked a little jaded and possibly that the amount of fixtures that they're being asked to play had, had caught and travel uh, had caught up on them. And I really thought that second half Sunday because it was almost like they expended all their attacking energy to get into the lead and then they just didn't have anything else to go on and push and kill the game. Yeah, um, I think in midfield, you have to, a, a midfield three for the majority of the match was Jack Halliday and Ajaria and an attacking sense, you're asking a lot of Ajaria there. Uh, Halliday and Jack being more defensive-minded midfielders, so uh, it's not a surprise that the 20-year-old who has probably played more games this month than he has, you know, played more minutes, sorry, this month than he has the rest of his career combined, uh, started to get a bit leggy in the second half, as it is, um, and, and the play kind of dipped. Morelos put a shift in, but he's been putting a shift in every match this season, um, and he must be getting a bit tired by now, and needing just a little bit of a, a, a break. Um Lafferty gave us two goals, but he's just in the team. You can't ask him to to uh, to do too much just yet. He's only a few days back. So, so yeah, the second half, those are the players we were kind of relying upon in an attacking sense. I know we'll probably come to this. I felt as though Gerard made a poor substitution when he brought on Glenn Middleton personally, um, but I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about the substitutions at some point as well. Uh, but yeah, it was it was kind of they, they they did look a bit leggy. And you're right against Ufa as well, where a, a team that just sat in and said, right, come and come and break us down. We're just going to physically impose ourselves in this match. There were moments there as well where where we just looked a bit tired. But it's, it's, it's understandable. The squad's a bit stretched. Um, we need a couple of, a couple of players that are currently out with knocks back if we can get them as quickly as possible Koulibaly hands on mm, Koulibaly sorry, really yeah the main one. we've missed him a great deal Hoggy to, to we're going to come to some positives folks because we don't like to just harp on the negative and, and there were some positives um, at the weekend but we do try to you know balance we've been very rah-rah I think so far this season so um, it's only fair that, that when there's a disappointing result that, that we um, look at that fairly as well Substitution, 93rd minute, corner to be taken. Pretty much if you get the ball out, it's done. I think everyone knew that. If the ball was cleared, the ref would blow up. And Hoggy, I, playing at a much lower level, amateur level, you know, and not even a very good one, but it was always something that I thought was kind of mantra, which was you don't make a substitution when you're defending a corner. You don't make a defensive substitution when you're defending a corner. You played at a bigger level than me. You have more experience with proper coaches. It's at least unusual. Um, two golden rules. Uh, there was the one that you mentioned, you know, don't make a defensive substitution because it just causes confusion. It's as simple as that. The other one is the one that we've, we've touched on already. You're in, you're in injury time. Mark a man, 
don't mark a zone, mark a man and get the ball clear. Um, whether or not Lee Wallace coming into the six-yard area like he did caused a bit of confusion, don't know. Um, but the ball comes in and, again, we just looked as if we didn't really know what we are doing. And that's from uh, McGregor all the way through the defenders. No one went to the ball, zonal or not, you know, and it drops inside the six-yard area. So you've got to look at McGregor, you've got to look at Tavernier, you've got to look at Goldson. You know, we should be getting that way. I know they've got 11 guys that are 8 foot 6, but we should we, we should really be getting that way. We have got good defenders in that team. We've got a very, very experienced goalkeeper. So, do you know, we, we, we played... I've tried to rationalise it today, David. You know, we played maybe about half an hour yesterday well. I think we played for an hour pretty poorly. Um, it feels like a, a mugging. It feels like a defeat simply because we drew so late. It was the same against Aberdeen. I know it's a very low base to start from, but you know, I can't help but feel in the back of my mind that if we're so bitterly disappointed at yesterday, we've come a hell of a long way and we should remember that. Mm. But this is our baseline now to improve from. Yeah, and I think you see when, when teams celebrate and draws against us so uh, dramatically, that shows you that you know we are considered far less of a joke and we were considered a joke for a long time. So that is at least happening. But again, as you say, in terms of silver lining, you really have to want to see it. But Alex, I wonder, in the cold light of day this morning, watching the game back, if perhaps we over emphasised the need for physicality and standing up to Motherwell, which the team did incidentally, no complaints about that. But I did wonder because when we played our football, we were much better than them and we looked like scoring and there were goals there for us. And I, I remember feeling that yesterday watching the game and then sitting watching it again today, that there were goals there for us. But it was almost like we were preoccupied is probably the right word with squaring up and making sure that we didn't let them physically dominate as maybe as a bit of a hangover for last season. Is that fair? I think so, yeah. I think it's fair for the first time so far this season to question the team selection and, you know, management team's choice of approach. I think that's fair this time and this isn't uh, you know, being done with the, the benefit of hindsight when it became pretty apparent that we were going 3 5 2, and that was from the minute we all seen the, the way the team was lined up um, by the graphics which they bring out. Um, which, you know, small bugbear, they don't look like great guys anymore. So if anybody from Rangers is listening, have a wee, have a wee word. Anyway, um, but, but we all kind of wondered if that was a bit of a risk because we've not had any time in the training ground at all. It's you know it's been Sunday it's been Sunday Thursday Sunday for weeks now um, we've not had any time to get the team together the very fact that we had to change the positioning of the three centre halves so that Flanagan went to the other side Goldson came out of the centre to let Katich go in the middle I think we've done that after about half an hour that tells you that we were largely working on a theory rather than something that we practiced um, because we didn't know the best positions for the freedom to play. Uh, we would have known that if we'd had time in the training ground. So, uh, that, as, as I say, this hasn't been done with the benefit of hindsight. And you're right, again, like that, when you're looking at the game and you're thinking, well, we've made a couple of changes here, and maybe Halliday was one such example, maybe, um, of bringing in a player who is going to you know, get stuck in, etc. But he's not as good on the ball as our field to replace. Um, and maybe we needed a bit more subtlety, as you say, rather than uh, the, the kind of more physical approach. So, yeah, it felt like we changed our game to suit them when we should have maybe just stuck with what we do best and see if they could handle it. Um, it's maybe just a little lesson for, for Gerard and the management team there. Uh, I can see why they wanted to change the formation. It was just the wrong time to do it. Uh, and then in terms of the approach, as you say, we, we let them impose upon us rather than the other way around. Yeah, because they, uh, the they made the game scrappier. They made the game scrappier and scrappier and scrappier, and of course, they end up, you know, dominating. Putting it to, to we weren't playing well, but you know, it wasn't like McGregor's pulling off save after save. But they made it a scrappy game, and that knocked us out of really being a threat. And we let them. 
you know, we, we, we let them in the second half uh, not dominate the ball, but simply we gave them the ball far too often. In the first half, when we played our game, from about 15 minutes in for half an hour, we were we, we, we were very good, I thought. Um, we controlled the play, we controlled the passing, we were getting the balls out wide, Tavernier's getting crosses in. Barisic, I thought, showed... Uh, there's there's a guy that's simply programmed to get by, get by the full-back and cross the ball. By God, can he cross the ball? So, you know, that, that half hour showed we don't need to change our formation to combat great big physical units because you know Motherwell Motherwell are alright but they're not exactly the greatest technical team in the whole wide world and we showed in in that half an hour that we can we can play football and we can dominate physical teams by playing football in the second half I do think we set up um, in a more kind of physical way to almost face off to them and that's one of the reasons that tiredness is, uh, really is the reason that we, we, we dropped further and further, further back. Now, the 3-5-2 itself, and again, you know, when you don't get the result you want um, and the defensive performance that we got, then it's, it's going to be under scrutiny. Now, watching it, I could see the advantages. Watching it back again, I could see the advantages with it because I thought that it did give us the two up front. I thought there was a, the signs of a very promising partnership between Kyle Lafferty and Alfredo Morelos. And I thought it, it made us look more dangerous. Um, I did wonder if perhaps it was just the fact that, as I say, most of our defenders, really with the exception of, of Barisic, um, were having a really poor day. And even Alan McGregor wasn't having a great day. Uh, his kicking was really poor yesterday. And, and again, we've spoken about the the third equaliser, or the, the equaliser. And I did think, well... You know, maybe if they'd played well, the formation would have looked better. But then, of course, the counterpoint to that is chicken egg. Um, was it being in that formation that made them look so hesitant, and nervous, and made them play badly? And I don't know which one it was. But I wouldn't necessarily. I mean, I've seen people say, "Oh, I hope to never see that again." I don't because I think that there's there's good things can happen with it. But as you say, Alex, maybe it needs to come. Um, shall we say after a bit more practice because they did look confused they really did they were clearly uh, in the three at the back they were confused uh, it wasn't just goals and slip you can't legislate for that right I mean wet pitch horrible weather that's going to happen sometimes and it was just one of those goals there's nothing you can do there that's not a system or a, a tactics thing that's just a mistake yeah get that Totally agree. Goldson from there, I think we all know that I think we, we had his semi-professional twin brother playing for us on Sunday rather than the real Connor Goldson because he was uh, very far off of what we've seen so far. But we, we we clearly didn't know because we had to shift the fleet back to move Goldson to the right rather than the centre, centrally, because in theory, Goldson should be the one in the middle of the three, but in practice it wasn't working. Uh, it wasn't just the goals that Motherwell were scoring. There was a couple of cracking chances that they had as well. One in particular, uh, not long before we equalised, if you remember Chris Cagden's cross that went all the way across the six-yard box. Yeah. All they needed was a touch. All they needed was one touch and it was in the back of the net. Um, I don't know how we got away with that one. It wasn't long before Lafferty's goal. We we rode a lucky times at the back until we, we slightly, as Hoggy says, we slightly settled um, that way. First half, once we started playing a bit of football and we'd shifted things around. We will play the 3-5-2 again this season. I personally don't think it will be the formation of choice. It will be a link on Sunday. He's thought to himself, Motherwell are going to play two up top. They are going to play a 3-5-2. I'll just match up with them um, and, and win the game that way. I can get why he done it. It just, yeah, as you say, it needs more work. It needs more time. Uh, they won't have worked together as a back three since before the Scoopy games, before the end of, you know, a pre-season camp over in Spain, probably. It's been too too long, too far away, um, and it, it just needs needs a bit more time. So, again, yeah, we'll see it, but I hope we don't see it in the next two games, let's just say that. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Uh, Hoggy, so there were some positives, and I think it's it's fair to say the, the main one was a seven-foot flute-playing Northern Irishman who arrived back 
didn't fuck about, looked as though he'd never been away. In fact, uh, was playing with a relish and a zeal that was fantastic. And I thought Kyle Lafferty scooshed the Man of the Match award for Rangers. Um, admittedly, maybe not as up against as much competition as other matches this season, but I thought he looked great. And like I say, a lot of very promising interactions with Alfredo Morelos. It was um, as 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 both of you know. I, I wasn't his greatest fan when he left, but thank God he's back. He was. Um, he, he took up quite an quite an interesting position for for large spells of the match. And so much as it wasn't out and out centre forward, he would drift into the midfield. He would drift out wide, and a lot of the link up play with Morelos actually came from that. And that includes when when Glenn Middleton came on. Um, Middleton and Morelos seemed to be up front with uh, Lafferty in, in, in midfield for, for a spell. So he was, um, I think one one thing was really clear to me, his touch is has improved, I think, tenfold since he was at Rangers last time. Uh, generally, he was killing the ball and passing it on. He was getting the ball to Morelos and then, you know, going by him and looking looking for it again. It was, um, it was refreshing. It was, it was excellent to see it and, do you know what? There's there's a striker, banging confidence, just trying anything. The volley, yes, it gets lucky that the volley gets a deflection and goes in, but the technique to actually volley it in the first place and get it on target is is pretty damn good. And his positioning for the crosses coming into the box, David, was was superb. You know, there's I think we've seen already uh, Kyle Lafferty last time round could be. I always thought a bit hit and miss. Well, he was. I mean, it's, it's oh, he this, was. You know, yeah. th- this this time round, by Christ, he's hit the ground absolutely running. For me, he's a certain starter in the next two games. Well, understandably, I think based not only in performance but freshness and attitude, um, I think yeah, I think you might be right there. But uh, yeah, very disappointing. Where it leaves us, of course, is five points from nine. Now, it's three games in, but. Again, we, we you know, like to take the temperature of Rangers fans, be it through our site on Patreon, be it through um, Mark's site, fallfall.com, be it through social media and be it through just speaking to, to Rangers fans. And there are some who are a little bit panicky um, or, or certainly a bit apprehensive because our next game is a trip to Parkhead and you, know, you can't, you, you can't uh, be ever certain of anything other than a very tough match or toughest game of the season. And they're saying, well, you know, we could be in a position after four matches where we've only got five points and we are four points behind Celtic. Now, firstly, I think we'll get something, um, either one or three points. So that's me just putting my cards on the table there. I do, I think, that that we'll have enough about us. Um, But even if we didn't, I just don't see this as being insurmountable or a bad start to the season because I don't... I think if you're going to just hive a part of several fronts off and say, well, this is all I'm interested in, well, that's fair enough, but everyone else might not be. Um, you can say, well, we've only got five points out of nine in the league, set fire to the building. I just don't really concur with that viewpoint, Alex. No, I definitely don't. Um, I, I can see the improvements. I really do believe that. I know that people talk about... People have a go at me because I, you know, I've said quite openly in the past that the results aren't quite as important to me in judging where we're at as as performances. Um, I think that I think the reaction to to yesterday is being heightened by the fact that it's a big week uh, to have a, a chance to, to qualify for the Europa League uh, and a nervous. What's going to be a nervous game? What? You know, many of us hoped it would be something of a formality after a good first leg. It's now a nervous one, and then obviously going to play that lot on the Sunday. If it wasn't such a big week after that, we'd be disappointed. But I don't think there would be quite as big a reaction. Um, now it's understandable. I'm not saying that's wrong, but it's just it just shows you the difference. Uh, just timing, really. If we end up, and we'll cross this bridge if we come to it, because like you, David, I think we've got enough about us to get something next Sunday uh, if we do end up four points behind them after four games it's not I don't believe those four games are indicative of how the rest of our season is going to go and, and it's that extrapolation that bothers me this notion that 
oh, we've only got five points from nine. That's how the rest of the season is going to be. And we've kind of ignored all the good stuff that we've been doing in the European games against some very decent sides. And I'll see again, Maribor, certainly. We're kind of ignoring that because of a couple of last-minute goals in the league pegging some points off of us. It just feels to me like that's a false. That's a, you know, to then say that's how it's going to be for the rest of the season, we're not going to get anywhere. It's, it's just a bit false. It's a bit, you know... It's a bit panicky to me. It sounds anyway, um, and I get it. It's emotion driven, but it's not. It's not really going to hold up to scrutiny because we won't go the rest of the season like this. There will be runs of wins with this team. We are more than capable. I think so, and I think as well, Hoggy, the fixtures. You know, have been difficult fixtures. It's a difficult start. We all said that at the beginning, and yes, we should have nine points. I would like us to to be doing a, a little bit better and it is very frustrating but look I might be wrong tell me if I'm wrong but I personally have seen enough that makes me think that once the team gets you know really gets a chance to get going gets through this period I've I've got confidence that we're only going to get better and that might be just me being hopeless or optimistic but I haven't seen things that suggest no this team's overperforming and is about to fall apart maybe it's maybe it's social media life I don't know that 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 means that everything in the modern age has to be either black and white. Either has to be absolutely amazing or it's the end of the world. I've seen words like, um, if we lose on Sunday, it's a disastrous start to the season. That, that's For me, that's a bit of nonsense. Um, I never, ever for a minute thought we would be in the fourth qualifying round. I thought we'd go to the third. I get that you know, we, we, we've had the luck of the draw it like that and we've got Maribor seeding fine we've got the opportunity to be into the group stages um, and with £4 million banked for £4 million plus from the four home matches in the qualifying and then £10 million banked from the group stages That's given where we've been That's some, that, that would be an amazing outcome um, we've got five points out of nine the first three games we're going to Parkheads. We can win. Of course, we can win. You know, it's not like last season where you know it was only it was only blind optimism where an hour to go to kick off that you thought that you were maybe you would, would maybe get something and then you get scudded five nil. Um, all three of us sit here know and we know that we can go there and get something or we can win because we are an infinitely better side than we've been. We've got a steeliness and we've got. Bar yesterday, of course, a, a, a real solid feeling through the through the spine for a you know for a change. That's that, that's that's night and day for, again to where we've been. So we can go and win. We can, or we can go and take a point. But if we don't, we end up with five points out of twelve. It's not a great start to the season. But there's only four games gone. Personally, I mean, and, and I'm I'm a fairly negative guy when it comes to football, as you both know. I'm sitting here thinking, you know, even if we do, and I hope it doesn't happen clearly, but even if we do lose, we've got more than enough about us to get back into it. Our next three games after what's been a very hard start to the season, three away games, you know, three away games that I think, uh, you know, three three of the harder grounds for us to go to. Um, Our next three games are Dundee, St. Johnston and Livingston. There's... Frankly, if we can't get nine points from those next three games, then I'll be worried. Yeah, I'd agree uh, with that. That's when, you know, that's when I'd start to ask questions, yes. Yeah. So, you know, uh, there, there's a... I think there's there's almost a, you know, hold on to your fanny, guys. You know, we, we, we really, really need to kind of not go over the score. I fully expect us to go and put on a show, put on a performance on Thursday night, and I expect us to be ready for Sunday. I do wonder what it would have been like if social media had existed uh, at Sunis's start, <laughs> which uh, you would have been. Yes, you would have been getting serious questions. Oh about. man, can, can you imagine? Um, because, Jesus, uh, penalty kicks against East Fife in the league. Penalty kicks against East Fife in the league cup, losing from two 0 up uh, at home to the United. Uh, obviously, the Hibs. Yeah, it, it was Oh well, yeah, that was January though. But uh, no, it was yeah. uh, it, it, there was uh, it wasn't all all glory. But uh, yes, anyway, let's uh, let's move on to Thursday night. Then we are uh, taking on Ufa second leg, 
And the first leg at Ibrox last week, they came very defensive-minded side. They worked very hard. They didn't really threaten us. Didn't seem to have the ambition to threaten us, Alex. But uh, Rangers, you know, struggled to, to break them down, I think it's fair to say. Didn't play as well as we had, certainly in the first half, although I did think we got a little bit better. But we've got the crucial goal and we've got the crucial clean sheet. So the fans' confidence is built on, um, and I'm one of them very much so. If we score, I think we should have enough about us to go through. And I think that we should be more than capable of going over there and scoring. So unlike perhaps say Maribor, where we went with clearly defence in mind first, although we did also have a two-goal cushion. I would like to see us be a little bit more front foot this week, Alex, in this tie. Yeah, agreed. Um, I would say the only reason we didn't score more against Ufa, well, two reasons. One, the referee didn't give us a penalty on two occasions, but we at least deserved it. Um, and two, the, amount, the sheer amount of bodies they had. Uh, you know, defensively, that was really what was killing our chances. It wasn't really poor play or anything like that. If they they just had so many people piled in their box that it was very, very difficult to, to break them down. The only reason we wouldn't score over there is if they do that again. And if they do that again, they won't score. They won't score. They, they didn't commit anything up front. That was the reason why they were so hard to break down. So, so yeah, I think we've got enough about us to score there. Uh, if we do, I think that's it, definitely, because I don't think they've got enough to to score three against us. Uh, yeah, they, they they were better than we were expecting, but they're still, unless they've got hidden debts that you know, we've not seen at all this season, even in the, in the other matches that people have watched, I, I just don't see, I don't see them scoring two goals against us, which is the minimum they'd need to knock us out. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm relatively confident going into that one. I'm sure coming yeah, kick-off time, I'll be getting a bit more nervous, but... Uh, yeah, relatively confident in there. Hoggy, having been sat in Ibrox over the years where we've not had an away goal, um, we've seen teams come out and just go for it and the panic that spreads round the crowd because you know if they get one, shit, um, is is so big. I'd love to see us do that. I'd love to see us take advantage of that psychology. Um, and there's no reason why we shouldn't. If I need to, they, they need to come out and score. I'm not entirely sure they crossed the halfway line last Thursday. Not willingly, uh, in, not in, knowingly. <laughs> in, in their in their Craig Levine Scotland um, four six zero or maybe nine one zero formation. Probably <laughs> closer. Yeah. Uh, and, and incidentally, get well soon, Craig Levine. We need your no fucks given tour to keep going. Um, so you know they they have to come out because they have to score. So. That's why I fully expect us to be back to four three three or four five one to have the white guys to have us doubling up out wide, and I do expect us to go and try and get a goal early early doors. If we get a goal, like you say, there's no way they're scoring three. If we get a goal, the tie's done, um, and that's I, I do expect us to not be reckless, but I do expect us to play our game. Um. We do have uh, slightly jaded, and I know people out there be going, "Oh, it's only August, and uh, you know, professional footballs. It's not like working a shift." And, and you're right, but it's those mental fatigue does come in, and you know, it, also we don't know what it's like being elite sportsmen having to put your body through that constantly. And we can argue about whether or not it should be, but the fact is that it does exist. Not just for us. Look at Burnley. Burnley's struggling very badly at the moment with uh, adapting to this this sort of routine that we're in currently as well. But we do have a, 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 a winter break. We do have a, an international break coming up. Two weeks. The majority of the players would be able to use that time to a get some get some recovery time and b uh, work with the manager on the training ground alex it really is a case of two massive pushes come on lads give it everything and then a few days off at the start of next week yeah that's the way gerard described it before sunday as well you know just three more from them that's what he was asking from a lot of the players he didn't have just because of some injuries and you know the likes of barisic not being available for all the European matches, taking away an option, uh, he's not got enough to, to really rotate in the way that he would like, I think. Um, you mentioned earlier that he expects Kyle Lafferty to start both games. I'm not sure if he'll start on Thursday. Uh, he might. I'm just not too sure. 
Uh, but he'll certainly be getting plenty of time off from the bench if he doesn't, uh, because he's got, as you see, he's in good form and he's one of the fresher players that we've got at the moment in this respect. Uh, it's probably not a surprise, is it, that Goldson and Katic had a bad game in them in 11 matches that have been played in such a short space of time. Uh, given they're both still relatively inexperienced and they're just in the door, it's just been unfortunate that they had the bad game they had kind of coincided with a team that was able to punish us for it. Oh, look, if it had to happen this week, I'd rather it happened Sunday. There, yes, that Sunday. Yeah, one of the three. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in some ways, strange or positive as it sounds, sometimes a little kick up the arse like that, a poor performance like that. We got away with a draw in, in some respects. Um, sometimes that that can you know focus a team for, as you say, these last two, just this push for the last two uh, matches before that international break where most of them are going to get a good bit of time off. And even the ones that have been called up for international duty, they're not, for the most part, maybe Kyle Athens. I'm not sure if Norman Ireland have uh, declared their squad yet. I'm not too sure off the top of my head. They might have yeah, they have. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. in. So Lafferty's maybe a bit different because he is a key player for them. But Alex Barisic, and if Morelos is called up at Colombia, Katic and the under-21s for Croatia, they're not fully established there yet. So there's a chance they're not going to be playing 90 minutes in both games. You know, yeah. uh, So it'd be a bit less of a schedule for them anyway as well. So so it's possible that, you know, as you say, after those two weeks, we go into home match against Dundee, some decent rest for some of our players, a bit more time in the training ground for guys who maybe need some stuff sharpened up and it's like go again and if we come out with the two positive results in these next two games and then go into that as well we're going to be fine yeah absolutely and uh, I still think there's a lot to, to look forward to and I think we need to as fans try not to panic I know what it's based on it's what's happened to us the last few years and also our, our desperation to get back on top and I get it but we need to try and say, okay, let's let's be calm. It's a long season. It's you know a four-year tenure for Steven Gerrard. We need to just make sure that we are keeping the heat, um, to use a colloquial Scottish term. Speaking of people who love a twee colloquial Scottish term, um, and we do try to keep politics out of football, but when politicians insist on uh, firing into it, it becomes quite difficult. And you may have seen a bit of a gathering storm, actually, that... Uh, after Rangers were uh, rejected uh, their application to to use the Albion training pitch or the Albion pitch rather as a a fan zone on match day that the leader of the SNP Glasgow City Council came out and said that she was in favour of one at Hamden and uh, it seems pretty clear as well that, that Celtic are going to be getting one now the excuse given which struck everyone as incredibly flimsy was that oh it will stop kids using that pitch whereas of course it's you know one half day every two weeks and the last of of three of the last four matches the pitch hasn't been in use at all it has since come out uh, according to uh, the newspapers that pressure was applied on the decision makers from um the leader of the council and a David McDonald who is the SNP deputy leader of the council that Rangers should not be granted this and uh, although he's locked his Twitter account now um, that the chap from the SNP had several um, pro-Celtic anti-Rangers tweets uh, going back years on his account uh, other political parties, both Labour and the Conservatives have stepped in to say this is a disgrace and is quite clearly a partisan decision basically Celtic fans are not going to give something to Rangers this is a fucking disgrace, Hoggy. And, you know, I've, as I say, we tried during the referendum, we tried to keep, you know, politics to a, a minimum here. But I'm I'm going to say it. If you're out there and you're listening to this podcast and you're an SNP voter and you don't like when people criticise the party and you're going to stop listening because of it, then stop listening. But these people hate us and they don't have any compunction at all about showing it. I generally... Genuinely don't care what political party people follow or what political parties in power and all the rest of it. When it comes to stuff like this, David, you know, wh- whether it's Labour or the Tories or SNP or the Lib Dems or, or whomever that's in power as leaders of the council, they're, they're, they're voted in and they're voted in for the good of the people, all of the people. Now, 
I don't know what team Susan Aitken, the SNP leader of the council, supports. I can hazard a guess. Yeah, I can fucking we know, guess, yeah. We, we, we know for sure what team um, McDonald uh, supports, David McDonald, because he's been loud and proud about it on Twitter. Do you know what? I don't have a problem with that either. What I do have a problem with is David McDonald is actually the chair of Glasgow Life, right? The, in Glasgow Life are effectively the owners and the custodians of the, the Ibrox complex across the road from Ibrox Stadium. He was, the, he was the guy that vetoed this, along with, of course, Susan Aitken and, and the other local councillor, I forget his name, another... Dornan, Stephen Dornan. Yeah, Stephen Dornan. Um, and so to go from that to, yay, fan zones are great when it comes to Scotland and when it comes to Celtic is double standards and it's not treating your uh, electorate with A, respect, and B, parity. I want Rangers all over this. I want voters all over this. If you're a Rangers fan and you voted for the SNP and you live in Glasgow and you think this sucks, vote with your feet. You know, Make your vote count. But Rangers have to take the lead here. i tell you another thing, David. One of the biggest voices to come out in, uh, to to be slamming this decision, well known Celtic fan Frank, Frank Ma- McAvity. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know, and 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 there's a guy who you know, don't be wrong. Lots of Rangers fans won't like him, and yes, he's a Celtic supporter and all the rest of it. And yes, he's moti- he's motivated by political gain, of course he is. But first and foremost, he's on the front foot, demanding parity for all football fans. As he uh, he said, the words he used, football fans are the lifeblood of Glasgow. Now. If you know, if if this decision is not scrutinised in SNP-led Scotland today, something's wrong. Alex, it's just the sheer small-mindedness and pettiness of it. And as Hoggy says, people who have sought and been elected to office where you are supposed to represent everybody, to be working out their own prejudices at the expense of taxpayers is vile in my opinion is absolutely vile oh yeah definitely abuse of power um, which is in itself a kind of vile thing isn't it but um, like, like Hoggy I'm not too motivated by you know who it is or what team they support or anything like that I, I try to look at individual decisions and judge them on their merit the decision not to allow Rangers to do this was farcical absolutely farcical I can say with absolute as an absolute fact, it's going to be different this season because Rangers are involved mostly, or have been playing Sundays mostly, and, and that could be something that continues if we if we qualify on Thursday. But I played in the fall of all livings on a Saturday between 12 and 2 before you'd get changed and go to the game at Ibrooks. This wasn't a bunch of kids using the pitch that would have been denied if a fan zone was there. This was a bunch of... And, you know, greatest of respect, boys. I know most of you will be listening, so I apologise, but let's be honest, we're fat and we're shite. And, There's a lot of fat lads in there, yes. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've got to you know, that, that's kind of what it is. It's just a kickabout for us and, you know, just getting getting some like-minded guys together playing a nice game of livings. That was the case for years. It's not been the case recently. Um, that's moved simply because the Ibrox Complex pitch is an absolute joke. It's, it's a mess. It's been there forever and they've never upgraded it once so it's, you know, it's kind of done now uh, no one likes playing on it so we've kind of moved it to elsewhere uh, but the fact is that that's who was using it it wasn't you know some sort of kid development thing that was going on before the games that, that's not been there for no because the, the, the excuse was so flimsy and preposterous but was said with if you, you read his comments uh, Donald's comments it was said with such emphasis and, and spite it was basically People who vote for me hate you, and I hate you too, and therefore I'm going to go out my way to fuck you over here because it will be good for me with my base. But as Hoggy said, you can do stuff like that in opposition. You can't do it when you're in control because there should be scrutiny, and there will be. And like I say, you know, if, if you're the type of person who gets very sensitive about stuff like this and uh, you know thinks, oh, you're attacking my party, therefore you're attacking me. In this case, yes, if you support people who do this kind of thing, then it's a fucking disgrace and you're a part of it. If you, if you, if, if you support the SNP and if you think this is okay, 
then you probably should just turn off now because the words that were used, abuse of power, is exactly that. I'm going to abuse my power because I fucking hate that football club. Is effectively and, it's, what and the people who follow it. Yeah. And, you know, I'll go back to the fella, David McDonald, deputy leader of the council with the SNP, is the chair of Glasgow Life. I think they're the owners, certainly the custodians of the Ibrox complex. He has gone out of his way to make sure that Glasgow Life do not make, let's face it, a fat wad of cash out of Rangers and Rangers supporters. Because setting up that the setting up the fan zone will not be cheap. The rent will not be cheap. The you know they they, they may even get a cut of the profits from beer and hot dogs. I don't know. There's the chair of Glasgow Life basically saying, we don't want that money. We don't want that money that we can put into redevelopment, as uh, as Alex says, pictures of disgrace. We could redevelop the facilities. We could bring in tens of thousands of pounds. But no, it's Rangers. Fuck them. Is it? You it's know, that okay, simple? Sorry. Go on, Alex. It's that simple, though. Yeah, it is. And, and it really is compounded by not just to patch the whole facility at the Ibrox complex. It's probably the worst of a lot now. And, and that's mainly because it's been there. I'm pretty sure the Ibrox complex was the very first of the 3G pitches, certainly in Glasgow. Uh, that was where you wanted to play first because it was the first one. If you remember back to the days of, you, you guys will remember the old sandy hockey yes. pitch type numbers. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, Ibrox complex came out, you know, that came along, that was one of the first ones upgraded. It's never been redone since. And just about everywhere else has. And it's a, it's, it's a mess now. You can't really play on it. Anybody with any sort of, you know, kind of joint issues, any ankle injuries or knee injuries they've had in the past or anything like that, they can't play in that pitch. Whereas they could go and play in Tory Glen or Nether Craigs or elsewhere. The dressing rooms, there's only two dressing rooms and then one for, for the women as well, which in itself is a bit of a joke. Um, you, They were using that for... The only t- thing that's ever been done up is the dressing rooms where got a bit out of a lick of paint and they took the benches out when the Commonwealth Games were over here because the Rugby Sevens teams were using it to warm up before the matches at Ibrooks. That's all they've done in years to the complex. Um, it's, as Hoggy says, that money, and Glasgow Life could have negotiated a cracking deal. Oh, yeah, reckon. Rangers are quite prepared to do that. Um, this, yeah, is, this, is, this is why it's going to be so easy for the opposition parties to make something of this. Like I say, some decisions are so venal and so inexcusable and so transparent in their motives that there is no defence and the piss poor excuse they come up with shows you that the fact that they couldn't actually construct a decent one and time will tell Uh, Yeah, an excuse that in itself by saying oh there's a load of kids need this facility no, that facility needs upgraded first and foremost before kids can play on it mm. or should be playing on it. So there was your chance to bring a load of money in and you could have piled in and upgraded that facility and you turned it down out of nothing more than bitterness. So, yeah, it's uh, it's something that, as I say, I like to judge these things on merit. As you said, David, if you're an SNP supporter and you feel as though we're having a go at your party and hence you, to an extent possibly, but we're actually more having a go at what was an absolutely farcical decision. If you support that decision, I don't quite see any hope for you, really. No. Uh, Personally, Alex, I'd be saying, if if you're an SNP supporter, you absolutely, you know, that that is your right. and that uh, Absolutely. If you think we're attacking you and your party, take a good fucking look in the mirror. And I think it's just a case of saying if you're an SNP voter and you're listening to this and you think the decision is okay, then as Hoggy says, yes, you know, there's no hope. But you should surely hear it and say, no, that's wrong. Put pressure. It's your party. Put pressure on it. But unfortunately, that's not modern Scotland. Anyway, what we What we will have, David, is uh, I, I absolutely predict that by Friday... SNP uh, council in Glasgow will have tried to have changed the narrative and they will now be the victims. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, 
Waiting here, uh, Twitter threats, that's that's the usual excuse, but I, I don't think it's going to wash this time, I really don't. Um, like a lot of things in uh, uh, the party that was once untouchable, I don't think is the case anymore. Anyway, let's uh, let's finish up for, for this week. We'll be back on Friday after the UFA game with a full review of that and uh, a pre-match before we go and visit the Orcs. Uh, if you like... From listening to Heart and Hand and if you've made it this far through the show you probably do as long as you don't well, SNP voters that turned off and swaved about five minutes ago but um, you can get more from us uh, we don't do politics but we do do pretty much everything to do with football on Patreon you just go to patreon.com forward slash heart and hand and for one ninety nine per month you'll receive a cracking extra 30 to 40 hours content per week and it's all good. Yes, I promise you, it's all good. Uh, if you want to read more from us, totally free of charge, just go to heartandhand.co.uk. I'd like to thank my executive producers in London, Mr Mike Lee and Mr Paul Myers, and to thank my two superb guests this evening. First of all, Mr Alex Staff. Thank you, David. Thank you, Ian. It's always a pleasure, guys. And Mr Ian Hogg. Pleasure and a privilege, guys. Really enjoyed it. Thanks. We'll be back on Friday. Till then, take care. Cheers. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.